Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Randy Rourke and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame show. Guys, are you getting burned out this summer? Are you uh, dealing with COVID craziness on top of summer clinic craziness? Do you wish your practice was more efficient? Do you wish that it was lower stress? Guys, I am doing a workshop with my friend and colleague, Stephanie Goss. She is the co-host on the Uncharted Vet Podcast, the business podcast that I do. And it will be on Wednesday, July the 15th. We are talking about thriving and surviving the summer of COVID in your practice. If you are a team lead, if you are a veterinarian who wants to take better care of the people who work for you, if you're a practice manager, if you're a medical director, if you're a practice owner, this workshop is for you. We are going to be splitting people up based on the size of their practice, how intense or severe the COVID pandemic is their area, by uh, by their role. We're going to definitely put team leads together to make sure that they get exactly what they need. Guys, this is going to be discussion-based workshop. We are going to get tips, tricks, and hacks for your practice that you are going to work on with a group. It'll be two hours. Um, I think it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. It is open to the public. $99 gets you a spot. I'll put the link down below. I would love to see you there. Now, let's talk about this episode. My buddy, the one and only Dr. David Dykus is here with us. He practices surgery at VOSM. He is a Mississippi State guy. He got his DVM there. He got his, he did his residency there. He got a master's degree there. He is certified in canine rehabilitation. He is a wealth of knowledge. He lectures all over the world when there's not a COVID pandemic. And he is going to help me out with my mother-in-law's dog. So without further ado... Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. And welcome back, Dr. David Dykus. Thanks for coming back, David. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for asking me to be back. It's great to be uh, happy and chat with you. Well, I'm, I'm going to uh, put a lot of pressure on you here. Uh, my mother-in-law's dog has a problem, and I need uh, I need some insight here. So um, so let's play. How do you treat that? You ready? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, cool. So my mother-in-law's dog is, uh, is a bit older, but the, the problem really came up when she was about seven years old. So she is, let's say, a seven-year-old female spade Boston Terrier named Daisy. And uh, she has a uh, medial patellar luxation. So she she's one of those Bostons that just high, high energy, just runs all the time. She's a maniac. But she kicks that back right leg out to the side, you know, stiff legs it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it kind of pops back in and then she puts it back down. But it's been that way for a while. Uh, my mother-in-law thinks it's getting worse. And she's asking me sort of tough questions about, hey, she's seven years old. What should we do about this? Is she a surgical candidate? Um, I would love your insight on that and how I should sort of approach that medial patellar luxation dog that seems to be getting worse and starting to kick the leg out. So, David Dykes, how do you treat that? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, we got to get this right. Otherwise, you're going to be spending a lot of nights on the couch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's family gatherings are going to get awkward (laughs) if we don't don't get this right. So, you've... Uh, diagnosed medial patella luxation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I'm going to ask you uh, is really two things. Uh, okay. Number one, what's what's the grade of the luxation? And number right. two, tell me tell me about the nose and the toes. So so the first one I will say uh, she's probably a, a grade three on that right side, 
and then probably grade two on the left. You know, so the left can kind of, as I manipulate it, it'll pop in, pops, uh, pops out, pops back in. The left, mm-hmm. it probably lives out more than it lives in. Uh, so that's the answer to your first question. The second question, I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> so uh, just to recap on grades, uh, number one is a uh, grade one. Most of the time in, we can force it out, yep. probably never causing an issue. Okay. Um, grade uh, grade two, probably where the vast majority of dogs fall. You got it. It's in. We can pop it out. It wants to pop back in. They may have some issues intermittently. The three, it likes to live out. You put it in, it, it really wants to be back out. Uh, and then a four, of course, it's out, it's out. We can't put it in. Usually dogs with grade fours are born as, as grade fours. They're not going to progress grade one, two, three to four. Um, dogs will progress from one to two, two to three. Um, so, so grade is important. Uh, and then nose and toes. So what I mean by that is this concept of patellar luxation is ultimately due to some form of either quadriceps malalignment or malalignment of the, the femur and or tibia. So changes can start all the way up to the hip. And we sort of sometimes see a trickle down effect where uh, the distal femur will sometimes start to curve inward. That's called distal femoral varus. It'll sometimes start to externally rotate a little bit. Um, The proximal tibia will start to sometimes curve outward a little bit, proximal tibial valgus. It'll sometimes internally rotate. Uh, And so what we need to figure out in a dog is, gosh, what changes does this dog have that caused the patella to not stay in place. And the secondary result of that is that sometimes the uh, trochlear groove will be shallow or underdeveloped, or if it's staying out more, they'll start to even develop their own little trochlear groove just inside the uh, uh, medial ridge of the trochlear groove. So when we look at these guys standing, I like to have them just standing. And I'll sometimes get down on my hands and knees when the dog's standing and looking forward and I've got their feet uh, underneath them in a normal standing position, I'm going to look if their nose is pointing forward, where are their toes pointing? Are their toes pointing directly straight and the patella is luxated or are they a bit cow hopped and the toes are maybe pointed slightly inward or slightly outward? If I've got a dog that's a bit cow hocked or their toes are t- uh, turned inward or outward, I like that because that tells me that what we've got going on is more tibial rotation. There's a little bit more play at the stifle. Okay. If that dog's standing there and the nose is pointed straight and the toes are pointed perfectly straight, but the patella is luxated, I'm a bit more concerned because that tells me that we probably have a torsional change in the bone of the tibia, which means this is going to be a little bit more complex. Now, here's the good news. Most dogs with grade two and grade three patella luxations probably have more play in the uh, the stifle and have some tibial rotation rather than actual tibial uh, torsion. Okay. Now, uh, the dogs that are grade four, well, those are a bit challenging because those dogs usually have combinations of femur and tibial changes that sometimes involve a lot of osteotomies. Okay. So let's get back. Yeah, let's ouch. get back to your mother-in-law's dog. All right. Yeah. yeah. So first off. Uh, you said she was what seven, seven and a half. Yeah, and, yeah. And she's about, yeah, she, okay. She's an older dog, and 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 your your mother in law thinks she's getting worse. Well, mature dog patella luxation worsening of clinical signs. Make sure that the cruciate ligament's not torn. That would be okay. the number one reason why a mature dog with a patella luxation uh, gets worse. Would be a tear in the cruciate ligament. If you've checked and 
there's no cranial drawer, there's no tibial thrust, and, and we are sure, okay, this is the patella, it's getting worse, uh, we might need to do something. Well, if I've got a dog that uh, the clinical signs are relatively static, and we've got a, say, grade two patella luxation, or maybe sometimes a grade three, and we don't really ever see any clinical signs, uh, we're going to continue waiting and monitoring and seeing. We're going to focus on keeping them as fit and trim as possible. So that way we're not increasing the uh, load on the joints. But if it's truly getting worse and, and it's starting to affect quality of life, uh, they're not able to maybe jump up on the sofa as easily, or they're not uh, wanting to go up and down stairs or they're self-limiting. They're not wanting to play as much. We'll start thinking about surgical correction. Now, uh, with surgical correction, we have to then move to thinking, what is the problem of this particular dog? So huh? I think of patella luxation repair more as an artistic repair, where we have to figure out what's wrong with this dog and then fix those things, not just take a cookbook approach where we do the same thing for every patella luxation. Okay. So uh, what I would say is if you're in general practice and, and you're like, nope, not doing orthopedics. I look at radiographs, but I do not want to see a bone or a joint in surgery. Mm. And you're thinking, well, do I need to send this to the surgeon? You know, again, if you've got that dog where you find the patella luxation, but they're not having any issues at all, you know, you don't need to send them to the surgeon. You can counsel the owners on maintaining the lean body weight, keeping them active, and, and then let them know. If these things start to progress and, and you're seeing a trend of increasing frequency, kick them to the surgeon. Um, if you're the one that you're like, you know what? I love orthopedics. I would spend all day in the operating room doing orthopedics. Well, perfect. If you've got that dog that's having uh, quality of life affecting issues with the patella, let's talk about how we fix that. Okay. So, so, uh, so I'm not going to get burned uh, if I sit on this uh, and say, well, it's not painful. It doesn't seem to bother them. I guess in my mind, I'd always, I'd always sort of thought, if I let this go, it, it is it. Are we going to see progression of this, and then later on, it's going to be a more painful process? You you seem to be sort of saying, yeah, don't don't worry too much about it. There's not there's not going to be a lot of negative consequences for you waiting to see how this goes. Yeah. So so if we if we take your mother in law's dog for example, mm -hmm. um, she's lived with this for seven years. Mm -hmm. So she, you know, it's a developmental issue. So she's had patella luxations her whole life. Uh, if it starts to become an increasing frequency of issue, yeah, we'll address it. If not, we're going to note it but we're not going to necessarily pounce on it. Okay. Um, but if, we, if we've got the younger dog that is, is starting to show some clinical signs, meaning we haven't just found it incidentally on an exam, um, I might be a little more aggressive correcting those because we still have many, many years ahead of ourselves that we might want to think about uh, you know, getting that realignment of the, the quadriceps mechanism. But I base decision really on two things, the grade and the clinical signs. Um, you know, some people like to say, well, if it's a grade two and they have clinical signs, we do surgery. If it's a grade two and we don't, they don't have clinical signs. We don't do surgery. If it's a grade three, we have to do surgery. I'm more of a, a fan of saying, well, you know, is this affecting the dog to where it's okay. causing an issue? And if, if it's not, I might not be as aggressive. Uh, if the owner perceives it as being an issue, then yeah, we'll, we'll address it. Uh, but I tell them, you know, I may see you back in a year. I may see you back in three years, four years when it does become an issue. Uh, and even then, when we correct it, I would say I wouldn't necessarily appreciate a worse outcome by waiting until the dog became more clinical to correct it versus pouncing on it uh, super early. Okay. All right, cool. That makes sense. Sweet. So um, 
just to recap, um, let's talk about weight management. Uh, let's talking about sort of keeping the, the pet active, sort of all, everything we sort of do with any sort of joint disease, progressive disease, uh, osteoarthritis, things like that. All, all of those uh, sort of main things. Uh, check pain management, see uh, if this is something that, that the dog seems painful about, things like that. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, how often are you seeing orthopedic uh, approaches to the knee or to the, to the patella luxation in general practice. Is that something a lot of GPs do? That's I I'm, I'm in the category you put in earlier. I don't want to see the joint. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't <laughs> like bones. I don't want to see the joint. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to ship it personally, but, but I do know there's a lot of people doing that. There, there's a lot of sort of, uh, you know, suture procedures and, and, uh, and things like deepening of the grooves and stuff like that. I mean, it, uh, do you see a lot of that? Are there any words of advice you would give to people who do those procedures? Yes, I, I do see a lot of that. And I, I think for the simple, the dog that's got the grade two, the grade three patella luxation, that you're, you're comfortable that the dog uh, doesn't have significant femoral or tibial bony changes. Um, absolutely tackle that. Uh, I teach a fair number of patella luxation technique uh, courses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I tell people, let's, okay, let's work in a systematic approach. Number one, let's look at the trochlear groove. If it's of adequate depth, okay, leave it alone. If it's shallow, then take your pick. Do you want to do a block recession or do you want to do a wedge recession? And then the next thing we need to look at is tibial alignment. And, and what I mean by that is we need to look and decide, do we truly have medialization of the tibial tuberosity where we need to cut the tibia and do a tibial tuberosity transposition? Or... Do we actually just have more tibial rotation? Do we have a little bit more play in the stifle with a little bit of excessive internal rotation? And if that's the case, I'm not going to do a tibial tuberosity transposition. I'm actually going to do an anti-rotational suture, which is sort of a modified lateral suture and extra capsular repair. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest with you, the vast majority of dogs that I see since I've taken this approach, I end up sometimes doing a block recession. Um, more times than not, I put in an anti-rotational suture. I, I rarely these days cut the uh, tuberosity and move it over because I think most of them actually don't have truly medialization of the tuberosity. They actually just have a little too much excessive internal rotation. Gotcha. And that will in many times uh, stop the patella luxation or correct it. But, it. but it goes back to those nose and toes because if there's significant tibial torsion, then maybe we actually have to cut the tibial diaphysis and derotate the dog. The other yeah. piece of advice I would give to those. I don't, I don't want any part of that. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want any part of that. You had me. Those are the procedures I live for. Um, but uh, the other word of advice is, is part of the workup. You know, when you uh, put these dogs under anesthesia preoperatively, start taking uh, orthogonal views of the femur. Meaning get a really nice straight AP view of just the femur uh, and a lateral view. That will allow you at least on the AP view to measure what's called the distal femoris, uh, to see if they have any distal uh, femoral varus. So you can measure what's called the anatomic lateral distal femoral angle. It sounds super hard. It's super easy. Um, And if we've got a dog that, that falls into sort of that normal category, which most grade two and grade three dogs do, tackle that one. I would probably say, unless you're really comfortable with corrective osteotomies, 
probably don't tackle the grade fours. Um, I actually, for those tend to send them for a CT scan so I can look at uh, torsion angles and and various and valgus angles and and what needs to be corrected. And, you know, those dogs, we usually find ourselves cutting the femur, sometimes cutting the tibia and doing a number of other things, but the, the average grade two, grade three, um, tackle that one and, and really try to decide to yourself, is there truly medialization of the tuberosity where I need to move it? Or is it more that there's just excessive internal rotation and I can get away with a uh, lateral suture? Because to me, healing is going to be quicker with that approach than yeah. cutting the uh, tuberosity and then waiting on the bone to heal. All right, perfect. Let me ask you, so it's a related question, uh, slight, slightly different, but, but, but fairly related. Um, so you talked about a lot of times we can start to see a medial patellar luxation in a dog, older dog that's had a cruciate tear. Um, what percentage of cruciate tears do you think or do you see where the owner does not notice, uh, you know, non-weight-bearing lameness, things like that? I, I, I've seen some of this. I actually saw, saw one yesterday, and this dog's cruciate was torn, and it had been torn a long time. And I, I asked the, the owner about it, and she said, oh, no, no, I never, never noticed a limp, never had any pain. And I'm like, and, and I just don't know. People... People like that. I, I've I've always either thought that the dog held its leg up and they didn't notice, or uh, or that they just weren't being straight with me, or they just didn't remember. Do you see these cases where the own like the dog just honestly doesn't carry its leg around like the classic torn cruciate, and 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 how often? Uh, daily. <laughs> daily. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. I, good. I see it. I see it a lot. You, you know, and many times it's it's. From a referral standpoint, it's it's the astuteness of the the veterinarian in general practice that diagnoses the instability and sends the dog over. And the and many times I walk in and, and the owner's like, he's doing great. My veterinarian said something about a torn ligament, told me to come talk to you. And, and I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm very glad they did. Um, so yeah, many a times uh, these dogs, and, and to deviate from patella luxation just a little bit with a cruciate tear, Sometimes there'll be that inciting event that the dog holds the leg up. Sometimes it's only for a few minutes, sometimes for a few days. More commonly, the owners think when I question them, you know, a few months ago, it it seemed like he slept wrong. He got up and he was a bit stiff on it, but but then he went outside and played and life was fine. So I I ignored it. So they tend to miss that because dogs can, uh, you know, place weight on their other three legs pretty, uh, pretty quickly, pretty easily. So they can mask it. So, I also really encourage people as part of their orthopedic exam, especially for hind limb issues, uh, measure muscle mass. And you'll be surprised what you start finding. Uh, And it's a great tool to show the owner when you say, I I get that you're not seeing a severe lameness at home, but your dog's got two centimeters of muscle mass difference, which means that he's secretly taking weight off of it, not using it because it bothers him. And then many times they're like, oh. Yeah, I, I, I can see the numbers there. They're, they're absolutely different. Thank, thanks for picking that up. Now, what do we need to do about it? Yeah. So it provides a little bit of reassurance for them, and it gives you some objective information to go off of. No, I, I love that. I love the idea of measuring muscle mass. I, I just love it. It's something visual that clients can see you do. You know what I mean? It, it brings out the conversation. You can show them the numbers. Like I just love it a lot. All right, perfect. That is wonderful. Any of the last tips, uh, tricks, pearls of advice on medial patellars, any, uh, any mistakes I want to make sure I avoid, uh, any, any last guidance that you can give me? Yeah. So, so just remember the dog that's got a patella luxation that has no clinical signs whatsoever. Um, counsel the owners, keep an eye on it, but don't rush into the operating room. 
Uh, if we're starting to see an increasing frequency or it's affecting quality of life, absolutely, we need to address those. Uh, remember your nose and toes. Uh, you yep. know, always take a look at that. Uh, and then if you're going to do these surgically, just make sure that you've got everything handled on the front end preoperatively from your x-rays and then making sure you're asking yourself, you know, am I comfortable tackling this so that we can make uh, an improvement? And um, I think for most of these, they can be done in general practice. And if you want to brush up on skills, uh, once the pandemic's over and we can all start meeting again, uh, you know, I think about maybe taking a, a lab or a course on, on a luxation if you want to brush up on skills or, or learn some new techniques, uh, because what better way to do that than to practice uh, in a less stressful environment where uh, your patients, um, you're not going to have to see the owners the next day or two or three weeks when there's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your, uh, about your courses. How often do you give them Where Could I find them if I wanted to get in and start looking at some extra capsule, extra capsule or repairs, things like that? Yeah. So, so there's a group of us, we do a whole lot of, uh, laboratories. So the, uh, uh, Western veterinary conferences, we, we typically do a patella luxation, a cruciate ligament lab. Uh, we do a hip lab, uh, and approaches to the hip, um, NAVC usually, or, or VMX now usually has, uh, several of these courses, um, several of the companies, uh, for example, veterinary orthopedic implants or VOI, uh, puts on labs all over the United States for, uh, various techniques from fracture repair to cap extra capsule repairs to patella luxations. Um, some of the local state, uh, conferences will do mini labs. And so, uh, there's a fair number of them out there. Uh, you can almost be rest assured though, that every year at VMX and Western, there's going to be, um, some of these labs that can be can be uh, taken. Um, the the fetch conferences used to do some labs. I used to teach extra cap and luxation repairs there. So you know I don't know if they're going to bring labs back, but if they do, that would be another avenue to look into. Yeah. Cool. Where can people find you? Yeah. So from a social media standpoint, um, they can check out my Facebook page. It's Dr. David Dykus, uh, and then my Instagram is ortho underscore vet. So ortho vet. Uh, and then if they have questions, uh, want any uh, case advice or to run a case off of me, they, they are more than happy to email me. My email is dldicus, it's D-Y-C-U-S at gmail.com. Um, there might be a little bit of a lag time for me to get through emails, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to give you some advice and, and hopefully help you out. So if you got a question, you can tackle something at, at work. Perfect. Thanks, David. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Th thanks for having me on. I, I enjoyed it. It was great talking to you. All right. I got to go talk to my mother-in-law. I'll talk to you later on. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and that is what we have for you today. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you got something out of this episode. Guys, if you're enjoying the episodes here at Kona Shame, please, 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 please consider taking a moment to leave an honest review on iTunes. It means the world to me. It's how people find us. It uh, is just it's just the nicest thing that you can do. Gang, if there's anything you want to hear about on The Cone of Shame, you can shoot me an email. The email address is podcast at drandywork.com. That's podcast at drandywork.com. I will see you next week. Stay safe, everybody.